morning, everyone. Just want to draw your attention. Um, the, the curriculum that uh, Gabe was talking about is a daily devotional that begins tomorrow on Monday. Next Sunday? Oh, you told me tomorrow. All right. All right, so the genius behind all this says it starts m- next Sunday. Uh, all right. All right, so I actually told people to start early, so... All right, they'll be ahead. All right, but uh, we have two ways that you can go through the devotional. One is this entire devotional is online. So you can have it pop up every day. Uh, you can have it uh, to where it's on your computer. You can read it there. Or those of you who are like, lots of people like to have things in their hand. Yeah, I don't know. I think they think it feels a bit more holy or whatever to have some paper there. And so they like to read through this. And so we have, we have some left in the lobby, I think. Uh, we're asking for a donation of $3 just to kind of cover our costs. But it has the entire thing. It, it runs for 10 weeks, and it covers the entire uh, book of Proverbs. And so uh, I think, one, it's something that, that focuses your devotional life. But I love the fact that we're all reading the same thing together. Something starts to happen in the spiritual realm when a church gets on page together in the Word of God. And so um, our desire is to see each of us advance uh, deeper and deeper into God's Word and also into the things He has for your destiny and your life. Now, I'd like to ask you to take your, uh, your worship folder. We have a, uh, the scripture reading for today is on the front of your worship folder. It comes from Proverbs chapter 1. We're just going to look at introducing uh, the book of Proverbs today, some of the key factors here. And in this first chapter, I'd like to call your attention before we read it together to the different words that Solomon uses to speak of wisdom. For example, when he uses the word wisdom, he also pairs it with instruction, that that a wise person is an instructed person, that there's understanding, that the value of wisdom is that you begin to get insight. You know, all, these are, all of these are wisdom words, wise dealing. Being, uh, I love the word prudence here. In the, in the Hebrew, the actual word means to be wily. And, and the idea of being wily there is that you're smarter than other people. That you know how to outsmart even the smart people. So the, the idea here is not a wisdom that is reserved for heaven. It's a wisdom for how to navigate life now. Of how to succeed, how to overcome, how to, to experience uh, all of the blessing of God right now in your life. So that there's a practicality to this. So let's read This introduction together, we'll start right with the first words. I like it when you read with me. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. 
to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, so here's the introduction. Um, Solomon, the wise king, the king with the greatest of wisdom, uh, compiles for his son, probably his son who will succeed him as king, compiles for his son teachings, instructions in wisdom that he had learned as king. Now, there's some aspects here that are very much direct because it's a father speaking to his son. There are some things here where as a father who has a, a son that I, 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 I wanted to instruct and a father who wanted his son to avoid some of the pitfalls that I had fallen into, often I found myself being very direct with my son and, and, and just trying to you know, get him to understand, get him to, to, uh, you know, to receive what I had to do. Now, one thing you, you'll realize is a pastor's children do not want an altar call at home. They do not like sermonizing from their parents. As a matter of fact, I've never really successfully had an altar call with my wife either at home, you know, where I give her three points and a, a repentance passage or something. Uh, you, don't, you don't get to do that, uh, even though sometimes you want to be so direct with your children. And so Solomon here, he's laying out, and, and I find that as the book goes on, he gets more direct, not less direct. He gets a little more dire in his warnings, and he gets a little more fevered in the things he's saying to his son. And so there's, there's incredible wisdom that's being brought forth here in this book. It's a, a wisdom that comes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's a wisdom that is passed from one generation to the next. Now, the first thing I'd like to, to show you in just the, the formation of the book of Proverbs is, is the emotional appeal of wisdom. L look with me at how Solomon began his life of wisdom, how he became an extraordinary person of wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, this is as Solomon rises to the, to the throne, for, uh, succeeding his father David. He's at Gibeon, and it says in verse 5, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. How would you like a dream like that? You know, here God appears to you in a dream, and he says, whatever you ask, I will give you. And what is so powerful here is everything was open to Solomon, but here's what Solomon asked for. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. To govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? What we see in this passage is this young man, Solomon, who has risen up to be king, who can ask God anything. What he does is he leans into his calling. He leans into his assignment. He leans into his responsibilities. So instead of asking to be relieved of the responsibilities or asked to be given things that would distract him from his call or his assignment, instead he asks for the resources sufficient to do the job God has called him to do. 
Here he is, a young man who could ask anything, and what he asked for is wisdom. Now, it says in verse 10, it says, this pleased the Lord. This pleased the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but any time in the Bible that it shows something pleases the Lord, I take note of it. But, but even more than that, even more than kind of a, a biblical exegetical idea here, this hit me when I was a kid. I was about 16 years old, and I was reading through the Bible on my own, and I got to this passage. I think I was, I was sitting outside my high school because I would read my Bible right before school would start. And I was sitting there reading through the book of Kings. And I came to this passage. And just sitting out in, in the car, just, just having my devotional time, this passage hit me. And I saw, here's a young man who asked the right thing. Who asked the right question. Who asked God for that which pleased God. And it, 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 I don't know why exactly, but it so resonated that I kind of, I, I couldn't hit my knees in my car, but in my heart, I hit my knees. And I said, Lord, what Solomon asked for, will you give it to me? Now, the passage goes on to say that the Lord says to Solomon, not only does this please me, but he says, because you did not ask for riches, and because you did not ask for long life, but you asked for wisdom, I will give you both. I will give you long life, and I will give you riches. And, I, and it's, just, it's just this beauty in this passage. There's this appeal that when you begin to say, Lord, here's what I really need. I need to understand. I need to have clarity. I need to have discernment. I need to have an understanding mind. See, you can go the rest of your life fighting against the world. You can go the rest of life saying how nothing works out for you. You can go through the rest of your life and say, everything's always against me. Or you can go to God and say, I need a do-over. I need to start again. See, I, I really believe whether you're, whether you're old or, or young today, whether, you're, whether you've been through everything or you've been through nothing, if you grab hold of the emotional call to wisdom from the heart of God, you will have a new start. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pray Solomon's prayer. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was pleased when Solomon asked this, he will be pleased that you ask it. And he will do for you what he did for Solomon. So let's, would you ask it with me? And what I'm going to ask you to do is to apply it to your situation. I don't think there are any kings in the room. There might be some wannabes, but I don't know that there are any kings in the room. But there are places over which you have responsibility. There are places over which you have influence. There are places where you matter. And in those places, you can ask for that understanding heart. Whether it's your parenting, your, your marriage, your friendships, or whatever it might be. If you pray this, I think God will hear you today. Would you pray it with this? Verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? Now, here's, here's where in that request you see the beginning of wisdom with Solomon. He realized 
that he was over his head. He realized that his resources were greater than the demands. He realized that his stress was not just because, you know, he, he was emotionally having difficulty. He realized the stress was real. That he had been given a job which he could not fulfill without supernatural empowerment. See, if you begin to realize that what you're called to do, what you're assigned to do, what you're trying to do cannot be done in your own power, and you actually humble yourself, and you say, I don't know how to do this. I don't know where to go from here. From that lowly beginning, he will exalt you, just like he exalted Solomon. Now, the second thing in this passage is that the whole book of Proverbs is really foundational on this contrast between what what is wisdom from God and what is not wisdom from God. There There are basically two kinds of wisdom that's competing for your trust. The trust that you, you have is listening to these two voices that are competing. The Bible calls the wisdom from above God's wisdom. But it also says in James 3, 15 and 17 that there's a wisdom that is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it actually calls it demonic. Now, there's a couple of keys in here, and there'll be keys throughout the book of Proverbs, but the first one is this. You and I are often not very conscious of what we actually trust. You see, when you make a decision, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, whether it it leads to success or failure, you have made that decision on the basis of a voice, a thought, a belief, or something that you trust more than you trust something else. For example, uh, it stuck with me for like 35 years now, but one of my professors once asked this question. He said, if you have a mule, and the mule loves oats and hay equally, He loves the oats just as much as he loves the hay. He loves the hay just as much as he loves the oats. What will happen to that mule? And so we, the students, we gave him a bunch of answers. And he kind of laughed at us. And he said, look, the answer is that that mule will starve to death. Because you cannot make a choice unless you like something more than the other. You will not choose something unless you trust it even a little bit more than what you chose not to do. See, you have to understand that that your mistakes, you can blame everybody else, your failures, you can say, the world's against me, you can say all of these things, but in the end, if you really want to be wise, you have to realize, I trusted something that was untrustworthy more than I trusted what was trustworthy. Every single choice is a manifestation of what you either consciously or unconsciously trust. And what Solomon's trying to get into his son's head, what the Holy Spirit's trying to get into our heads, is there are things that are trustworthy, and it's a wisdom that comes from above. Now, one of the things, at least for me, that I've been able to discern in my life is that most of my thoughts, most of my beliefs, most of the things I base my choices on have a voice to them. And... It took me a a good while, but I began to discern the difference of the voices. For example, when you're making a decision and a thought begins to run through your head and beliefs begin to run through your head, 
often those things will sound like somebody you know. For example, it can sound like yourself, or it can sound like your mother, or it can sound like a voice of a boss from the past, or it can, it, it can sound any way it needs to sound in order to influence you. So the first voice that I had to deal with was my own was what I thought was my own voice. I don't know if any of you ever struggled with this, but I struggled greatly when I made mistakes, when I said the wrong thing, I did the wrong thing. And what would happen is as soon as a mistake was made, I would immediately in my head hear this clear voice, which was in my own voice, saying, you are so stupid. How do you always mess up so badly? You will never get it right. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, that's my own voice, I thought. Okay, but here, here what was behind the voice is this belief or this lie that I trusted in that said, if I am severe with myself, I will avoid difficulties in the future. If I punish myself worse than anyone else punishes me, then I will not do the stupid things that I've done. And one of the problems with that is that's wisdom from below. It's demonic. It's accusing voice. And it's Satan masquerading as if he's my voice. Well, why do I know that? Because wisdom from above is completely different. In Romans 8.1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation. What are, the, what, what are words? Of, You're so stupid. That's a condemning voice. You never do anything right. That's a condemning voice. Now, I thought it was my voice. It wasn't my voice. It was a serial killer's voice. How many of you, you know, I'm not asking this for hands up, but how many of you knew that in your community, in New City or Rockland, wherever you live, knew there was a, a serial killer loose? And, uh, and, and you go, let me open all the doors. Let me open the windows. No, you would lock your house down. The Bible says that the accuser who accuses you day and night has got no other purpose but to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. When you trust his voice, you're trusting a wisdom of a serial killer. And when you make choices based on what he says to you, then you're making choices that are, that are just intended and strategic for destroying you. And, those, and he, he speaks over every area of your life, your finances, your health, your sexuality. There's not a single area he doesn't have an opinion. And when he puts that opinion to you, he puts it in such a way that he, he makes it sound like it's a voice that you should trust. See, but if you know the content is untrustworthy, it doesn't matter where the voice came from. See, once you know what the content of the wisdom from above, and that's why we're spending this fall, saying, here's the wisdom of God. Would that voice be God's voice? And if it's not, why would I want to let it in my head? Now, there are a lot of people who make the decision they'd like to be stupid for quite a few years. And because there's an honoriness, there's a resistance, and there's a part where it says, you people don't know what you're talking about. You know, this this is ancient wisdom, and we're modern people. If I find people are just as stupid today as ever, and they were just as stupid in the past, 
As a matter of fact, this is one of the tragedies. The son that Solomon so much wanted to help didn't listen. Somehow we still have this written word. And some of it is because a great grandson did listen. But the son that he intended this book for, he did his own thing. And he split his kingdom. And he never had the greatness that Solomon had intended for him. See, there, there's a consequence to denying wisdom. There's a consequence when you trust a voice that is untrustworthy. Well, it's fascinating that it gives us this content of wisdom in the scriptures here. One of the things that I, 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 I try to do every week is to do a little definition or a little defining of what wisdom is from the Bible. This is, this is my first one I, that I like. And it's basically this. Wisdom in your life as a Christian, as a believer, is that you begin to, to without reservation, without fantasy, you begin to see the world as it actually is. See, one, of, one of the issues with many people is they, they're too afraid to, to just say, this is the way things are. They would rather idealize, fantasize, or they'd rather Disneyland version of the world. Instead of saying, you know what, whatever's going on, whatever is true, I can handle it. Whatever's real, I can handle it. Because I'm never alone as I handle it. I'm not just me. I am... Uh, I am in union with the very one who holds the whole world together, and I don't have to be afraid. Then the second thing that's true of wisdom is that wisdom is intended for you as a man of God or a woman of God. It is intended so that you actually navigate this world successfully. This This is the point of Solomon's wisdom. Solomon's wisdom is not just to, it's not just to eat dirt and die. The point is to succeed, is to overcome. The whole point of the book of Proverbs is so that you will taste victory. So you know what it is to be an overcomer. Here's the thing. If you are born of God, and every true believer is born of God, then within you is the spirit of the overcomer. And that which is of God must overcome the world. Therefore, there has to be something that you're overcoming. I mean, Jesus said it this way, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And he has given you the destiny as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a family together, he's given you the destiny to overcome, not be overcome. See, even, even if you've given up and given in, or you've, you've had terrible defeats, you are of those who are able to dust themselves off and start all over again. But you don't start all over again stupid. You start all over again learning from your mistakes. Owning your failures. Realizing you trusted wrong things. Realizing that you don't have within you the ability to navigate this world. But you have the ability to appropriate this very navigation. Here's an interesting thing. Solomon could have asked God. He could have said, Lord, I want long life and I want riches. And he didn't do it. But part of, part of it is, once you have wisdom, you can appropriate both. They're both available. I mean, once you understand the promises of God, you realize he's going to take care of your house. 
He's going to take care of your job. He's going to take care. But as long as you're still doing it your way and you're trying to get him on your team and you're trying to do it in the same old wisdom that got you in the same old place that you stay in, then you're just going to have the same results. But once you go, okay, I mean, I'm 56 years, I'm 56 years old and you learn every single day you don't know enough. And that what you, what you knew, you thought you knew sometimes was absolutely wrong. <laughs> Lisa used, I used to drive Lisa crazy in Atlanta because I had a Jeep that had a compass on it. And I didn't, we lived in a part, of, we moved to a part of town I didn't know well, so I just used the compass and not a map. And this was before iPhones and GPS was on your phone. So I would just go, I think we should just go west. <laughs> I think... Look, it says south. Let's just go south. And she hated that because she likes to go down very prescribed, very well-known paths. And I, I just wanted to explore. And so we would just go along. And I would think, I'd say, I think if we go down this road, we can get where we need to go. And so we get to the end of the road. It was a dead end or a cul-de-sac. And in my head, I'm thinking, but it should go there. <laughs> you know, here's my compass. Here's it, you know. But... But no matter what I did, I couldn't make the dead end not be a dead end. And no matter what, I, no matter what, if I wanted to advance, I had to back up, I had to retrace my steps, and I had to find the right way. See, wisdom is about navigating, not, not cursing the dead ends. It's about navigating to the destination. And, and saying, when you get to a dead end, I went the wrong way. And quit investing more gas and more resources in going the wrong way. In a sense, that's what repentance is. Repentance is where you get to the place where you say, I thought this was going to work. It doesn't work. I was wrong. You don't have to cry all night. You just have to back up and take the, the right way. And this is, this is a big part of wisdom. Now, at the beginning of wisdom... In, uh, in Proverbs, both in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 9, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which means true knowledge, and then the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, there's some things about this that I'd like you to understand today. Number one, many of you in this room lived with a lot of fear. Well, the household that I grew up in was very chaotic, very painful, very abusive. And I lived in constant fear. I, my, my father had days, had times where he'd come in at 10 o'clock from working all day. My mother would give a litany of what we had done wrong. He would wake me out of my sleep and just beat me. And I have no clue why he was beating me. And so I lived in constant fear. I actually at times would pray that my father wouldn't come home. And, 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 and it was in that fearfulness that I realized, though, that nobody cared that I was afraid. Nobody helped me when I was afraid. Nothing seemed to give me power when I was afraid. So I became angry. And anger seemed a lot more powerful than fear. Anger felt a lot stronger than being hurt. So I lived with an incredible stronghold of anger in my life. When I was delivered of that anger, like particularly by finding forgiveness for myself, beginning to forgive others, letting go of bitterness, 
I could see that my anger was actually fueled by my fear for the first time. And the problem was that I feared all the wrong things. Like I feared death. I feared financial failure. I feared being rejected by people. I feared that I would fail or mess up. I feared my wife's disapproval. I feared all kinds of things. But what I, what I, what I feared actually wasn't worth fearing. And what the, what the scripture is saying is there's only one person worthy of your fear. There's only one. See, once you understand that God is God, that he is a consuming fire, that he is holy other, that he is righteous, he's almighty, he's all-powerful, and when you get it in your head that he is God and that's it, then you no longer go, you know what, People fearing people doesn't make sense to me. Fearing death, fearing uncertainty, it doesn't make sense because... The only one who can really, who really has control over all things, the only one who's really, really matters in my life is God. See, in a sense, until you fear him, the gospel won't matter to you. It won't matter. Now, I have a, I have a kind of a silly illustration, but it, it, it makes perfect sense to me, and I don't care if it does to you. No, I'm kidding. When I was a seventh grader, I, I, many of you know, I, I grew up in Mississippi, and I went to school, public school in Mississippi, and when I was in seventh grade, they finally integrated the schools. The schools had been completely segregated up to that point, so for my six, first six years of school, there was all white kids in one school, you know, and then all African-American kids in another school, and there was no integration whatsoever. But in seventh grade, there was, uh, there was forced integration, so there was incredible tension in the schools. Parents were upset. Both, uh, both the kids uh, from uh, the African-American areas of town, their schools have been closed, in, they closed down. They've been forced to go to schools they never went to before. Teachers were shuffled. It was one of the most chaotic times in, uh, in, in, in the school. And we were, just, we were just students. We had no clue what was going on. Well, I remember as a seventh grader just going, okay, where do I fit in this scenario? What, what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be? And um, I had not had a lot of contact outside of my own culture. And so one day I was trying to make friends with some kids that uh, had not been friends with before. And I don't know if I said or did the wrong thing. I, I don't know what happened, but this one guy just all of a sudden put me in a headlock. And uh, his name was Watley Kemp. I can still remember it really well. And I, every time I think about him, I think about how he was the strongest kid I ever met in my life. I mean, usually at least I could outrun people or I could at least like poke them in some way and make them let me go. He got me in a headlock and I went, I'm going to die. And in the, in the moment he had me in the headlock, I, 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 the beginning of wisdom was I had fear of Watley Kemp right then. And I realized I cannot move my head. I can't move my hands. I, he, he has me. And in that moment I went, he is bigger than me. He is stronger than me. He is more powerful than me. And, and I have nothing I can do whatsoever. And 
what, what happened was certainly fear, but all of a sudden it became respect. And then, then it became humility. I have met someone that I can't get away from. I have met someone that I cannot overpower. I have met someone that I can do nothing. He is so powerful. And then Watley let me go and laughed at me. And then he, in, he invited me and he gave me entrance into his set of friends. And in the most tumultuous year where students got hurt and people got all kind of issues, Watley was my protector and my friend. He introduced me into an entire new world. And he gave me entrance into his friendships, into the people he cared about. And he said, he said I was okay. See, if you listen to that story a minute, you'll realize that's the gospel. See, the God who could crush you, the God who could hold on to you forever, has, and who is all-powerful, who is bigger than you are, who is more powerful than you are, who is holier than you are, he invites you into his circle of friends. And then he says, you're my friend, you're my protector, I'm your friend, I'm your protector, I'm your healer, I'm your savior. See, when you get that, you, you begin to understand that song, Amazing Grace. At, at the end of verse 1, it says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Because, see, in his grace, he reveals who he is. But it was also that same grace that my fears relieved. Because you realize that the only one that matters has invited you into friendship, into love into sonship with him. Now, why I say you don't get the gospel till you get how fearful God is, is that sometimes you just think he should just, he should just love you. He, you. You get this entitlement kind of idea. When, when Anna was a little girl, from the time she was, she was you know, could, could understand what I was saying, I always said to her, Anna, you are the most beautiful little girl in the world. And I said that over and over to her. And then her mother would always say to her, but it's more important to be beautiful on the inside than the outside. And Anna would say, it's not bad being beautiful on the outside too, Mommy. <laughs> you know, so we would, we would have this ongoing thing. Well, when she hit her teenage years, she had some, some confidence issues and stuff. And so I would go up to her and say, Anna, you are the most beautiful girl at your school. And she would look at me and she would say to me, you're my daddy, you have to say that. when you understand the fear of the Lord then the only one that matters is your daddy and what he has to say about you what difference does it make what others say about you what difference does it make what even what your circumstance want, want to say about you if your daddy says you're the most beautiful girl in the world because all that matters is him when you get the fear of the Lord that's why it's the beginning of of wisdom it begins to it begins to take over you're thinking about him when you're tempted to steal you think about him when you're tempted to satisfy your sexual drive outside of where he is prescribed you're thinking about him when you're deciding how you're going to talk to other people even even you think about him when you're driving because you want the smile on his face to continue and it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that we begin, there is 
And there are things that please your father, things that bring a smile to his face. And one of it is, is when you know him for who he is. And in knowing him for who he is, you accept his offer of friendship and love. As we finish out to today, would you stand with me? I feel like, uh, you know, this is my third time to say this this morning. But I have, I have felt this in every service. The, this beginning at the book of Proverbs is an invitation to start over. To be, if you're a dad, to be the dad you always wanted to be. To be the mom you always wanted to be. The husband you always wanted to be. The wife you always wanted to be. To be the worker, the leader to be this teacher, to be the minister that you always wanted to be. But, but you have to decide that there's something bigger than you. You have to decide there's a headlock you can't get out of. That there's someone that you respect more than you respect your own desires. Or maybe even that there's been a working in your heart like there was in Solomon's heart where instead of saying, God, make me rich, you're saying, God, make me wise. Instead of saying, I want to live forever, he's saying, I want to live in wisdom. And he began to realize that there's some things that are a lot more important. And eventually, you know, the bloody head from beating your head against the wall, you're really starting to get a leaf wise enough to say, maybe beating my head against the wall isn't working. Instead of resisting, maybe it's time for me to yield and to say, I don't know how to get through this wall, but I know someone who does. If that, I mean, if that resonates with you, would you join me up here so I could just pray over you for a minute? Would you come now and just say, I think I want a new start. I want a fresh start. I thought I was smart, but nothing's working quite the way I thought it was going to. You know, and it, it doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means that you've been listening to wisdom from the wrong place. Come on close. I'm, Lisa, will you come up? Come and pray. I want you to pray over people. Out loud. Lord, the picture you've been giving me this morning is uh, when we get off the path, that the fear of the Lord's the on-ramp to get back on. And we thank you, Lord, that every day we have a new beginning point, which is the fear of the Lord. So, Lord, we give you our hearts today. We fear you in our hearts because you are the almighty, you are the glorious, you are the beautiful Lord, and we submit ourselves to you, and we start anew and afresh. Lord, we thank you that there is a beginning point, and we thank you that that beginning point is available to us every day. So I pray over each one, Lord, that just that sense of newness and freshness that comes from beginning again. Lord, just, just like when we start school and we have our new pencils and our new notebooks and it feels fresh, I pray that freshness over them. That sense, Lord, of, of not having failure, that sense, Lord, of, of not uh, screwing up, but that sense of newness and that everything awaits. That's what I pray over us, Lord. And I pray, Father, for a new energy to go with that new start. And I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. 
Now, before you leave, would you give the people around you a hug, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.